we need to get to a point where there's enough capacity to manage all of the needs in our state, which we often refer to as the fifth largest economy. Mm -hmm. My job is to make sure that we don't turn it into the sixth largest economy. And the way that we do that is to have affordable and reliable energy. It's a hard uh, sales brochure to attract manufacturers to California, let alone keep the ones we have, when there's that lack of reliability for the most critical input apart from workforce in the whole manufacturing uh, process, and that's energy. Um, So we need to have an honest discussion about the grid and its fragility. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Sacktown Talks. Today, we're glad to be joined by Lance Hastings by the California Manufacturing Technology Association. Lance, thanks for joining us again. Good to see you. Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, it's kind of kind of timely. You know, as, as you were on a couple years ago, we were talking. You lived in England for a while, and we just had, you know, this uh, whole thing in England happening where the, the entire country is shut down, unbelievably, over the queen dying. Kind of what are you, some of your thoughts and kind of on that and kind of the observations you've seen over there in England right now? Well, it was interesting because I, when I arrived in England, it was uh, June of 2012, and right. that was her 60th uh, jubilee. Uh, and as I arrived into town, there was pomp and circumstance all over, and I thought it was such a remarkable thing. And then, of course, she had her 70th and then recently passed away. Um, what I did discover in England is that there is an affinity for the royal family, mm-hmm. and particularly the queen, that she has led them through some very you know treacherous times. So I was communicating with some of my friends that uh, are still over right. in the UK, but you know, long live the queen and... Um, it's just you know a sad thing. I think for the world, obviously for the United Kingdom, but for the world as well, to lose a leader um, like that. And I, and I do recall very uh, distinctly, I was at a formal function in London with a thousand people as a black tie gala, and it was one of my earliest events uh, that I went to when I was there. And there was a point right before dinner was served where um, the MC clinked the glass in the right. microphone, and everybody dutifully stood up. And I was like, "What's happening?" So I stood up. I wanted to be like everybody else. Uh, the MC hoisted the glass and said, to the queen. And everyone in the crowd said, to the queen, and then sat back down. Yeah. I mean, that, that it was like a national thing that one did in a, in a group setting. And I obviously never participated in anything like that in this country. So it kind of stuck with me, that, that image. But when she passed, you know, it was a sad moment. And uh, our kids lived with us in England, and they, they sent notes, too. And everyone's a little bit sad. But, um, you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, Prince does. Charles is now king. Right. Astounding. Like, you know, even like David Beckham waited in line for 12 hours to, yeah. you know see her coffin that's unbelievable very impressive very impressive yeah so now you know you're back here in california you've been heading the uh manufacturers technology association you guys are up to a lot of work kind of what's some of the latest things you guys been doing that you guys been doing a lot kind of in in media yeah so what we're trying to do uh, when i took the role we knew that there was a narrative issue within the Mm -hmm. manufacturing sector that we just didn't quite have the narrative right for our industry so we're going out and talking about what manufacturing actually looks like in the modern era and what it pays and how attractive as a career it can be because we were missing that narrative. Mm-hmm. And there was a sense that manufacturing was dirty, dark, and dangerous. And it's not that way anymore at all. And, and yes, there was a time a hundred years ago and into the right. 20th century. Yeah, you know, manufacturing was tough work. But through efficiency, mechanization, and just uh, technological advancements, manufacturing is a great sector to be working in. So we're trying to elevate that to the general population so that we can attract a future workforce that can be excited about its job rather than, oh, you know, I'm gonna get stuck working in manufacturing. Uh, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. Manufacturing can provide an excellent job and career for really anyone that has a skill and wants to work hard. Yeah, and you kind of what amazes me is just talking to people and in manufacturing 
and you know the stuff built here you don't even you don't even realize uh that's built in california like I, I didn't even realize we build trains here from from siemens in germany yeah not only here but here in sacramento yeah I mean, it's just down the street <laughs> uh we and we make everything and i have a little bit of a talking point too where i say we literally make everything because mm-hmm. without manufacturers you wouldn't have any products and, and we are at the tip of the spear of the economy so we take inputs and resources and convert them into goods that people need and want and that's what makes manufacturing so important, not only to this state's economy, but the, the nation and the global economy as well. Yeah, and that's kind of something we've experienced recently, right? Like where the global economy has been disrupted uh, and we were relying on a lot of stuff from overseas. Um, are we going to begin seeing more stuff built you know, locally you know, instead of you know, waiting for things coming from China or, or overseas? I, I think so. And we've seen some of that already during COVID where there was this real focus on the domestic supply chain and that mm-hmm. became a buzz phrase. You know, oh, we right. need a domestic supply chain. And I think what had happened is that we had allowed the global economy to, to be just that, a global economy where things are moving all around the world um, some of it made here, some components made elsewhere, but you know there was this global economy. And COVID really showed the soft underbelly of that system when we relied just in time on a ship coming into a port and the goods getting onto a train or a truck. Right. That was disrupted. And then we really had to focus on the U.S. and not only supply chain issues, but reshoring jobs. So we're in that that transition right now where the public acceptance of, of really wanting to focus on a domestic supply chain is is probably at an all-time high. Mm-hmm. And that's giving us an opportunity. And I'll point to the Salton Sea just here in California, massive lithium deposits. California can get in the lithium battery game right, right now, right here in our own backyard. It's going to take some work. Some environmental work is going to need to be done uh, to make it happen. But we have that opportunity right here in California. No, that's exciting. Um, you know, it's, it's not only like manufacturing, kind of as you think in, in the common safe, like building the widget, uh, but, you know, California is also the home of, of technology, right? And, you know, we innovate, we do a lot of the, the engineering here, but, you know, a lot of it's developed over overseas. And kind of, yeah. as we were saying with, you know, was it, whether it's COVID, whether it's the Ukraine war, uh, we have shortages of, of these kind of, you know, um, things that you wouldn't think we really relied upon, like, um, um, you know, chips, for yeah. example, the chip shortage. And then you realize there's only like three chip builders in the entire world. Uh, can you kind of talk to about kind of like, you know, these issues that we're seeing and kind of what we're doing here in California to kind of help bridge the gap on some of these things in the future? Yeah, I mean, I, it's a, a well, I hate to say a crisis is a great opportunity, but but in fact, COVID did underscore that. And the, the chip manufacturers that you describe are in, in Taiwan, which is not right. necessarily the most politically stable environment <laughs> yeah. uh, that a country can be in. And, and with the federal passage of the Chips and Science Act, yeah. And CMTA was involved in that. We sent letters in to advocate for it. And we've already seen some uh, traction with that. Solodyne announced last week they're going to be locating a facility here in the Sacramento area. So uh, getting chip manufacturing here closer to where the intellectual property is, because you're Mm -hmm. right, we are the innovators. But what we don't want to become in California is just the innovators and great weather. Right. And we need that workforce and we need the output. And I think over the next five to 10 years, you're going to see California get an outsized share of that federal chips uh, money mm-hmm. and California really established itself as a key cog in the semiconductor world. Yeah, we had this interesting podcast. We talked about water and agriculture in the valley, and basically it was this kind of you know scenario we're facing here in California is if we don't have enough water, we're not going to have enough agriculture, and that agriculture is going to get outsourced, where you know there aren't going to be fair wages, there aren't going to be clean energy uses, things that we value here, uh, making our food. And the same can go for manufacturing, right? Indeed. Kind of what can we do as Californians to kind of prioritize jobs here in California, you know, manufacturing uh, products, you know, in ways that we value? I think if we have an honest discussion across the, what I'll call the public policy landscape about 
the future of the state's economy and all of its subparts. So agriculture is a very important uh, cog in that wheel, but so is manufacturing. Mm-hmm. I mean, aerospace alone accounts for $66 billion of economic activity here in California, and that's just California. And with that as a subpart of the broader manufacturing sector, it's massive. California is the largest manufacturing state in the country. It's the highest workforce of 1.3 million employees. We have 30,000 manufacturers in California, and they also need water. I mean, to tie the two together, um, you you need a lot of water to manufacture things. So it's not just water for ag or water for residential. There's uh, a requirement there. So we just need to have this uh, much more honest discussion. What do we want California to look like 5, 10, even 20 years down the road? Because right now we don't have a roadmap. And that's, I'll accept you know, partial blame for that. Mm-hmm. We're working on a manufacturing master plan for the state of California that we're going to share with the administration and legislature next year. But we need to have a horizontal view of what things need to look like. Because right now it's putting Band-Aids on things and uh, you know fixing it with bubble right. gum and, Reaction, and duct tape. Right, right. And that's just not a way to do mm-hmm. it. And I've already had conversations with Didi Myers at GoBiz about having um, a requirement to have a manufacturing plan for California. And right. we're working toward that. You know, that, that's interesting. It's like most businesses or banks are forced to have what they call a strategic plan, right? Yeah, what, what exactly. Do in a year, three years, five years. Uh, and kind of I've, I've seen not only is water an issue, but energy, right? We all want to have energy uh, that's made clean, uh, sustainable, et cetera. And we have this balancing act here in California where, you know, we want to do some things and we want to do it this way, but we're, we're not quite there yet. And kind of energy is, is a big thing we've recently had here, what, a month ago or, you know, a couple of weeks ago where we didn't have yeah, Labor Day weekend. Yeah. yeah. So how is that affecting manufacturing and what can we do in the future to ensure that we all have enough power to run our air conditioners, make our products, et cetera? Well, good. We just turned this into a two-hour podcast. This is perfect. <laughs> uh, energy, it's interesting. We, we have two issues in manufacturing that mm-hmm. I, I want to make sure I highlight today. One is workforce, and we can get to that uh, in a bit. But energy, not only energy itself, but refi- uh, reliable and affordable. So those two dynamics really make for the manufacturing sector. And right now, we don't have either of those. The The costs are exorbitant, and the reliability is, is down. And as you alluded to, it was Labor Day weekend we, when we started that spate of 100-degree-plus mm-hmm. days. And we were talking with the administration you know, daily, if not hourly, about what the manufacturing sector could do because we're large consumers. Right. I mean, I'm not going to hide from that. We are very large consumers of energy. But we just can't turn off the processes. And the question always comes up, how much lead time do you need? And the weather forecasts aren't good enough to give us enough lead time. We need right. a week, in some cases, two weeks, because the, once the manufacturing process starts, you need to see it through. You can't just interrupt it. And we need to get to a point where there's enough capacity to manage all of the needs in our state, which we often refer to as the fifth largest economy. Mm-hmm. My job is to make sure that we don't turn it into the sixth largest economy. Right. And the way that we do that is to have affordable and reliable energy. It's a hard uh, sales brochure to attract manufacturers to California, let alone keep the ones we have, when there's that lack of reliability for the most critical input apart from workforce in the whole manufacturing uh, process, and that's energy. Um, so we need to have an honest discussion about the grid and its fragility, mm-hmm. uh, how we can deal with forests and um, you know the impact on the grid with fires, et cetera. And then the liability, because as soon as there's a fire and impact, everyone wants to point a finger rather than find a solution. So CMTA is really committed to sitting down and saying, let's not have the same conversation every time it gets hot, but let's have a conversation about what we can do to secure the future. Now, Diablo Canyon being extended for a few more years is a short-term opportunity to help uh, with the grid and and keep the electricity going, Um, but also the use of natural fired 
uh, turbines to generate electricity. I mean, we're caught up in this conundrum right now of, you know, maybe it's even a, a, a just an ironic situation that right. we're doing these short-term stop gap measures, but what we really need is a long-term solution. And we really want to work toward that because I can't attract manufacturers here if I don't have that. Right. I can't say it. The lights might be on. Come to California. I mean, we really have to get serious about it. Yeah, and there seems to be like there's kind of like bridge kind of solutions, right? Like where it might not be the cleanest, like, for example, like natural gas or hydrogen, some of these newer newer things um, where it's available today and it's cleaner than, you know, some of these other options, but it's not ideal clean. Um, it's not solar. It's not wind. Um, it, so can you kind of talk about that and how can we kind of use some of these bridge technologies to kind of get us to where we want to be? Yeah, I mean, I mean it almost circles back to the, uh, having a plan, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, if it's a 10-year, 20-year, even 30-year plan, because these things do take time. And there's not enough wind and not enough sun at the moment with what we have to fulfill all of our energy right. needs. And then it gets really dicey at night, right? Um, so until we get the storage technology figured out, we're going to be in this transition period. And I've been a big advocate of in, including academia in the discussion so that we can do that research. So rather than bring goals forward when we're not even on pace to meet the greenhouse gas reduction mm-hmm. um, uh, requirements for the out years, the one to bring it forward, we're not at a spot where we can bring it forward. So it sounds good as a policy, but if we can't meet it, then it's gonna end up being a failed policy in 2035 and 2045. So again, let's sit down and have these honest and difficult long-term discussions right. about what we need. And I'm sure we can forecast out how much water California needs 10 years from now, how much energy we need, how many roads we need, et cetera. Right. We can do that. We have the ability. Yeah. I just don't know that we have the desire uh, and the like the, the political fortitude to have those discussions, but we really need to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one, one thing you brought up was kind of the workforce, right? Um, and we used to have this kind of discussions over there where, you know, we want to create jobs. This is a job killer, et cetera. And now the the conversation's kind of changed because we have this whole great resignation thing. It's hard to get, find people to to get to work. Can you kind of talk about, I guess, the kind of current climate of the workforce and you know the ability of these manufacturers to fill positions? Yeah. So uh, w- within manufacturing, the history has been somebody comes into manufacturing and they will likely stay the twenty, thirty, and in some cases forty years mm-hmm. in the sector. So right. once you got an employee in nineteen eighty. They're going to be working for you in 2020. You, you knew that. They were going to get trained along the way. They were going to grow their career and, and advance, and everything was perfect. Well, fast forward to now. Um, those people are retiring, and there's a large percentage of them. We call it the gray tsunami, which is you know, referred across uh, right. industry sectors. A big chunk of retirements, 5 to 10% of our workforce is going to retire over the next 10 years. We simply don't have the backfill. Uh, some of that's our narrative issue that I talked about earlier, that we haven't made ourselves attractive enough. But the workforce has evolved, that people go to work, they stick with the job as long as they're fulfilled. And it's not just about money anymore. There's a lot of other factors. And then they move on. And our sector is not built upon a model like that. So we have to be much more nimble and adaptive in order to not only attract employees, but to keep them, keep them interested. And I don't think... Um, based on some of the data I've seen, that employees are staying within manufacturing. They may come into manufacturing for five years mm-hmm. and then leave. Right. That's what we're trying to avoid. And you know, the ecosystem, if everyone stays in, that'd be great. But we have 1.3 million employees in the sector. We're probably going to need to fill a half million jobs over the next five wow. to 10 years. And that's not easy. And COVID has made it more challenging mm-hmm. for people to want to come to work like that. And I'll go to a facility in the Bay Area. There's a foundry in Oakland. And he said, yeah, we hired, uh, hired a guy last week showed up on Monday and didn't show up on Tuesday. 
<laughs> so we have to invest in the training, of right. course. Uh, not only the wages and the salary, we want to attract people. But if they don't stay more, more than a day, we're, we're in a world of hurt. So we've really got to get that sorted out. Yeah, because, you know, they are known for like high paying, exactly. good jobs, you know, usually like a pension or something like that. Um, are you seeing this in other states or is this an anomaly here in California? Uh, I'm seeing it to a lesser degree uh, in other states. Um, but, you know, even here in California, I use Tritool as an example, that in Rancho Cordova. <clears throat> the people that work there are making things that are in pipelines under the sea and going to space in rockets. I mean, so they're doing like really cool stuff. So while right. they're there on the job, whatever they're working on, they know is going to go to this higher and better purpose. And that's a motivating factor. And I think throughout manufacturing, you see that um, the employees um, uh, visibly and, and in a very tactile way see the value of what they're doing. And they're very proud of it. So right. we just need to harness that. And I think we'll be great. It's kind of interesting, you know, during COVID, you've had all these companies kind of go remote, um, especially in the tech sector. You're seeing cities like San Francisco just totally empty now um, and kind of, you know, we're all looking for when are things going to get back to normal? And we've seen everyone's kind of like gone out of the state and there's always this narrative out there that, you know, California is this failed state and all the businesses and all the successful people are leaving and, and probably at the top of the narrative is what Tesla and, you know, their new factory in Austin and moving their headquarters in Austin. Um, kind of is that a, an accurate narrative? Is is California, you know, a bad place to do business or are you finding that, you know, that that is a false narrative that actually we are doing a good job of keeping businesses here and supporting them? Yeah, I don't know if it's a false narrative as much as it's a challenging narrative, because mm -hmm. there are some data points that would suggest there's some moving. But those the moves that you talked about to Austin tend to be headquarter moves. So they're taking the administrative wing of a manufacturing facility, but they're not taking the facility right. that remains here. We still have the best workforce in the world, bar none. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll take our 39 million residents, parse out the manufacturing uh, employees within our population. We're the best in the world. We're the most innovative, most adaptive. Yes, we have the best weather also anywhere in the world. Right. So we have a lot going for us, but I think right now the political environment has lent itself to these charges you know, everyone's leaving, you know, the governor's engaged in some other states with some activity. Um, and there's this elevated um, Elon Musk situation in California. Mm -hmm. It's very political. I'd like to get away from that and really talk about the attributes that California has. And there has been this shift, you know, back home or remote, even our offices. But what we realize uh, to be a manufacturer, you have to be at the factory. Yeah, we, We're not a cottage industry. So you, the, well, we use Tesla as an example. They can't make a car in their garage and then drive it to you know the sales place. There, right. there needs to be a factory. So when COVID hit, we worked very hard to keep the facilities open throughout California. And it wasn't easy because we didn't know what COVID was. We didn't know how it was transmitted. We knew that it was pretty, you know, pretty lethal, uh, but manufacturers had to keep working. So we worked for months making sure that we were doing all the right things to keep the facility safe. And I think that demonstrated California's kind of resiliency to see through a crisis and maybe set us up for the long term. But the, the impact in the cities, even in Sacramento here, it's it's daunting. Yeah. I mean, the cities do not look like they used to. No, definitely not. You know, so we're we're coming out of the you know the end of the legislative session. We're here in bill signing uh, territory, and you recently just got some some bad news, didn't you? We did. Uh, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about the, about the bill you were working and kind of its veto and, and what you guys are planning for next year? Absolutely. So uh, a year and a half ago, uh, Assemblyman Grace and I sat down and had a long conversation about the future of manufacturing and what we could do to boost manufacturing in California. So we looked at various options and we settled upon what we thought was the simplest and most broad-based approach. And that was to treat all manufacturers the same, give them an incentive to invest in the state through capital purchases and exempt those purchases from the sales tax. 
So that is simple, but it's very complicated underneath that. There are funding shares that go to local government. There's shares that go to the state. And there was a concern among local government that we were somehow taking money away from them. Mm-hmm. And that was a proved to be a very significant headwind uh, for the legislation. Uh, having said that, we had economic analysis that showed there would be one to $3 billion in brand new economic activity in the state of California, which itself would be fully taxable. Right. So you remove the sales tax portion, but then you get this much larger pool and create 160,000 new jobs. Mm-hmm. So with that kind of dynamic analysis versus the static analysis of the local government, we just didn't have enough uh, to overcome that. And the governor in his veto message that we anticipated um, highlighted the fact that there's the money to pay for it. Uh, what I maintained all along was to the local governments, you're not getting that revenue right now right. because manufacturers are not investing in the state. And yes, it became a, a kind of a rhetorical uh, back and forth exchange, but uh, Mr. Grace and I will be back with a uh, another proposal that will boost manufacturing, but it may not be a tax or fiscal policy, mm-hmm. but we're gonna come back with something because we need to demonstrate uh, to the manufacturing sector and to the country that California is in fact open for business and we're committed to making that happen. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it's, it's people are always looking towards the short term, something you just kind of talked about earlier. And, you know, this year we had this record surplus, this record, you know, budget. And if, and if any time this was going to make sense and they could take the risk, it would have been this year. Um, so that's kind of unfortunate that they're kind of, you know, ne- uh, nearsighted on this. I guess what can you do to kind of, I guess, bridge that gap, you know, for next year and kind of. Well, I mean, you know, government, legislative politics and politics, it's a Mm. long, it's a long game. Right. Uh, If if we were um, as successful as we wanted to be and had the bill signed, that's a one year, very aggressive deal. We worked across party lines. In fact, of all the votes cast, there were only three no votes on the bill in its entire legislative process, which is remarkable. And even among the business community, there's some recognition that, you know, we can have reasonable business proposals in the legislature and have them be successful. So we're, we're happy about that. Uh, but we just have to see um, see this thing through over the long haul. And it, it'll take several permutations. You know, the, the legislature may come back with a, a little pivot. The governor's office may come back with a pivot. But we're committed to seeing it through. I'm not wedded to just the sales tax idea, right. but that was the simplest and most broad-based way that we could approach it that would benefit small, medium, and large manufacturers yeah. together. You know, it's, it's fascinating. You talk to members, especially from kind of the Long Beach, L.A. area, you know, at the port where they're talking about products coming in, being put on a truck, being put on a train. And you begin to think how, you know, manufacturing, transportation, uh, you know, energy, it all, it's all connected, right? It um, is. You know, a lot of news has been made, uh, transportation sector here in California, you know, you know, trying to go cleaner um, to, you know, EVs and things like that. Kind of what is the manufacturing, you know, you know, businesses looking to do in this sector and how are they preparing for this transition to kind of these new type of transportation methods? Well, all of the indications are we're headed in that direction. I mean, right. it's obvious we're, we're really going in that way. We're not yet prepared. So, for example, if um, the California electric grid can't handle the electric vehicles that are on the road right now, right. there's no way, uh, barring a miracle, mm-hmm. that even in uh, 2035 uh, when internal combustion engines will no longer be able to, to be purchased at, you know, initially. Right. Um, there'll be a market for it, but it won't be for um, uh, first sale or initial sale. We're not ready yet. So in those planning documents that, that we talked right. about, how are we going to get there? How are we going to not ask people at home, don't charge your car tonight because it's hot? I mean, we, we have to kind of get past that. <laughs> right. And the grid just can't handle it right now. Uh, so again, having those honest discussions to, to finding an appropriate timeline and I always find it interesting that timelines are 
even year, rounded years, 2025, 2030. You know what? It might be 2037 by the time we're able to get to something, but that's not a you know, fancy number right. that people can wrap their, their minds around. But we, we have to have on-ramps to these policies or they're not going to work. And then the public's confidence in public policy development is, is going to fall apart. So it has to be reasonable, attainable, um, and as least impactful as possible. But we're headed in that direction. Hydrogen is a technology that uh, you know could be scaled up. Electricity, for sure. The ports are looking at all kinds of things. Uh, but I would, since you mentioned the port, if I can just pivot just mm-hmm. for a moment. Uh, the global economy had developed over the course of the, the early 2000s and 2010s this just-in-time efficiency right. from resource to retail and to your front porch. I mean, everything literally was just in time. Any hiccup in that process is going to mess up the supply chain. Any one hiccup. Right. We had a series of hiccups as a result of COVID. The whole system has been discombobulated. And just now we're able to get back to a sense where products are flowing. And I just was with Gene Soroka from the LA port earlier this week where he explained they're about caught up. So here we are, you know, late 2022. The pandemic started in March of 20 and we're just now catching up. Great sign that we're caught up. Um, I think he said there's only 10 ships offshore waiting to come in and uh, offload. Um, So we're, we're getting there, but we just have to have a conversation. What's meaningful and reasonable and a, an appropriate timeline on all these things is it just can't be a number that that people pick out of a hat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've done some interesting things up at CMTA. You've brought in a new kind of comms director and you guys have really focused kind of media and you've actually brought in a, a typical media, traditional media person, someone from the news. Can you kind of talk about some of the things you're working on kind of with media and kind of especially digital media right now? Yeah, earlier this year, when we had an opportunity to uh, bring in a new lead of our communications mm-hmm. function, CMTA made a conscious decision that if we own the narrative, we need to be able to tell it in a way that can resonate with with people. And I'm not just legislators and, and thought leaders, but people. And I uh, thought we need a storyteller, mm-hmm. somebody who knows how to tell stories and can do it in an authentic way. And a lot of the pathways led to people and media because that's what they do. Uh, I'm not a storyteller necessarily. I like to tell tales, uh, but we needed somebody who's a professional at it. So um, we've been able to get Ananda Rachita to join our team. Mm-hmm. She came from Sacramento's ABC 10 affiliate investigative reporter during the week and then the weekend anchor of the the news um, in the evening and just phenomenal. So she's taken this narrative to heart right. and is looking at proper avenues, mediums, and the other uh, you know avenues to get our messaging out. And so far in the first three and a half months has just smashed it. Um, she's had uh, CMTA on the news. Uh, we had a, a CNN spot, which you know, right. first time, uh, you know, I went national, but we're just telling that story about manufacturing narrative and you can expect more to come. We, uh, we started an Instagram page, which we didn't have before. So we were putting content on that every day. Thursday is throwback Thursday. So we go into our archives and get pictures of manufacturing from 50 years ago and today. Yeah, I noticed that. And That's we cool. compare that. We're doing a, a TikTok. Uh, we're getting that started. And a walk-up Wednesday where we feature a staff member with their walk-up song mm-hmm. coming to work. And oh, we're just awesome. trying to do those clever things to right. really uh, resonate across uh, across California. Are you guys, I know you guys like invested in like kind of like a studio kind of space up there. Are you guys doing like a manufacturing podcast or, or anything like that? Yeah, we're moving to, we're doing a Friday Five, which mm-hmm. is now the top five items in the manufacturing sector that we send out. And it's more, um, more pithy rather than newsworthy. It's right. just things that we've been doing in the sector. And it's all building to what we're going to either call a manufacturing minute or a manufacturing moment where we uh, have Ananda sit down and just carry the weekly message. And I think once we get that rolling, you're going to see a lot of 
uh, narrative ownership uh, from CMTA for right. the, the sector. We're really excited about the future. Yeah, with 30,000 manufacturers, I think you said. You yeah. Know, there's no shortage of uh, content or stories. Yeah, and they and they need their story to be taught. They deserve it. Right. Uh, and Ananda is a, a, just a fantastic storyteller, not just in the words and the narrative, but the visual nature. Right. She really captures it. You know, you kind of talked about, like, we have a very diverse manufacturing here and some stuff you've never thought about, like a lot of some of the things you're talking about with uh, aerospace and things like that. What are some of the most unique manufacturers we have here in California? Uh, I'm going to point to one here close, uh, and and it's unique because it's so close to the capital. Mm. That's Blue Diamond Growers. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Blue Diamond is over on C Street, and you and I are sitting here on L Street right. across the street from the capital. So by my estimation, Blue Diamond Growers is the closest manufacturing facility to the state capital. And as a result, it's right there. And they're yeah. you know bringing their global brands. Uh, they're processing it here in Sacramento and exporting it all over the world. So there's that story. And it's tucked in off C Street. And so many people that live in Sacramento drive up 16th Street to get out of town, right. don't even know it's there. Uh, and that's both the you know kind of the beauty and wonder of it all, but also the mystery of it all. There's manufacturing all around us. And uh, we make critical things. So your neighbors, your friends, you, know, you probably one degree of separation from every one of us with someone in the manufacturing sector. Yeah. And I think that's pretty cool. No, that's right. Especially when they're making that like that like sugar almond and you're by there and you smell it and it just smells smells so yeah, good. And it's right here. So we yeah. try to leverage that as much as we can. Another facility is out in Rancho Cordova, um, springboard manufacturing and they're in plastic injection mold. And yeah, it's hot because they mm. got to get the resin hot to make right. it, but they're just churning out products and components for cars, for fuel uh, applications and diesel. And it's just amazing. Um, and they've got 200 employees out there working hard every day, then they go home. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the nice thing about manufacturing because we, again, we make everything. Yeah. So you recently got your EMBA. Uh, what is that and what made you pursue that degree? So for a lot of years, I've been uh, kind of wanting to go back to school mm-hmm. uh, or at least get more educated. Right. So um, Sac State, where I went to for my undergrad work um, for an economics degree, has an executive uh, MBA program. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, cohort learning. Uh, it's a 15-month accelerated program. And for me, I started it during COVID. So we had our orientation and boot camp on Zoom. And we have uh, 14 in our cohort. And then about six months in, we got to meet each other in person because right. of uh, you know, some of the uh, relaxation and COVID uh, requirements. So we met for a couple of classes and then went back to remote because of uh, Omicron, but we finished with our last three classes in person. And it was an opportunity for me to A, go back to my alma mater. It's here locally in Sacramento. And I, I cared so deeply about learning more about leadership and business so that I could be a better leader of CMTA yeah. that I thought it was a, a very worthy investment of my time. And it, it certainly has proven out uh, to be that. Um, a great program. Uh, I graduated in July. Mm-hmm. I wore a cap and gown again. And yes, uh, uh, every one of your uh, listeners and viewers wanted, yes, I was the oldest in the yeah. cohort, but I, I just learned so much. Uh, and not for my career, you know, the future of what I want to mm-hmm. do, but how I can help others. Right. And because of that motivation, I, uh, a lot of work, a lot of time went into it every Friday afternoon and Saturdays for 15 months, but uh, well worth it. And I'd do it all over again. Yeah, it's interesting because you were already an executive, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
uh, or pretending to be one. Right. Anyway. <laughs> uh, you know, on the job, you know, that, that had to be kind of rare for your professors, uh, you know, somebody who was already an executive kind of in class and had that kind of firsthand knowledge and experience. You know, you actually were learning and kind of like in the experience at the same time. That yeah. I mean, it was, it was a double dynamic because a lot of what I learned validated what I had learned in my career. Mm. So that part was good as opposed to, whoa, I never thought about that. Right. And then there was the new things that underpinned some of the decision-making and uh, particularly on the financial side. One of the, the best things I learned in the whole course was you have to be able to make a decision to stop putting good money after bad. And the, just because we've sunk and some of the case studies we looked at, um, they were tens of millions of dollars down a pathway. Right. And they were reluctant to stop because they had spent tens of millions of dollars right. already. And the, the toughest but best decision a leader can make is stop. Stop that craziness. Let's regroup and mm -hmm. figure some things out. And I've been able to apply some of that at CMTA. Right. Just to say, just because we've done it for so long, we're not going to do that anymore. And there was a like a general sense of relief, like, oh, I've been worried about that. Right. And now we don't have to worry about it anymore. And that was one for me was uh, almost an epiphany of sorts. Let's stop doing some things. No, no, that's a good point. And you can apply that to, to business. You can apply that to politics, right? In like, your everyday life, too. Right. Yeah. Everyday life. No, that's something. You know, you know, top of the news, you know, we're coming into an election season. Uh, of course, we have all, all the propositions and things like that. But all we're hearing about is, you know, these rising interest rates, inflation, things like that, recession. Kind of what are you guys seeing in the manufacturing se sector right now? And kind of what are, what are you guys bracing for? And Well, the two things. So the interest rates going up means money just got more expensive. Right. And which was another, in, in my view, a tailwind for our bill, AB mm -hmm. 1951, because we're not going to invest more when the interest rate goes up, we're probably going to invest less. So the, the sales tax exemption would have been a, a little bit of a right. discount on that. So I was hopeful that we, we could have made it um, work. Now, the, the Fed just raised the interest rate earlier this week, uh, 75 basis points, and there's some anxiety. You saw the reaction in the stock market right after that was um, announced. So that's one part of it. Inflation, though, eats away at everything. It's an erosion of the value of money. And that, to me, is the most concerning. So since 2018, there's been 20% aggregated inflation. Mm -hmm. So we've all lost 20% of our buying power just because of inflation. And if we could get that in under control um, and then uh, have interest rates stabilize, I think you'll see some continuity of a, a pretty robust economy. Absent those two things, so if inflation persists and the interest rates keep going up, we're going to be if we're not already in a right. recession, because you don't know you're in a, in a recession until two months after the fact, when you look backwards, oh, wow, we are in, uh, yeah. in a recession. I was in Washington, D.C. this week, and Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, gave a presentation, very compelling, mm -hmm. and they're trying all their fiscal tools that they can do to, to manage this dynamic between inflation and the interest rates and, and unemployment. It's, they're all related. Um, so they're, uh, people are minding the store, but I'm very concerned uh, going in, and particularly on behalf uh, of the manufacturing sector. If we're not able to make those capital investments, right. it's going to be challenging. But it, it also goes kind of, it's kind of interesting, like, you know, when oil's up, you know, commodities are up, it, you know, the cost of, you know, making these goods goes up. How do the manufacturers deal with that when they bought something, you know, three months ago and are making it and then putting out to sale? Uh, and it, you know, when you buy it and make it, you know, you're gonna have to raise your price. Right. But then at the other end, you might not get that. Yeah, price. You lose customers when you do right. that. I mean, it's a very delicate balance and you, know, you just gave a quick economics lesson. That's mm -hmm. how things work. When input costs go up, that has to be transferred, you know, somewhere, um, along, um, the process. I'm just really concerned about the sustained 
challenges of inflation mm -hmm. and higher interest rates. Uh, if we get a handle on it into uh, early 2023 and the summer, things are looking better. And there's some that will say by the summer of next year, things will have stabilized. I hope so. Because if they if they don't stabilize by then, right. we this it, and it becomes a downward spiral where it takes on its own momentum and it's really hard to reverse. Right. And um, I don't want to get back to the fifteen percent interest rates, right. which is what we had, you know, in the late seventies and early eighties. That that would be very debilitating for yeah. the U.S. economy. You know, with, with the November elections coming up, is there anything that the manufacturers are looking at um, on the ballot wise or, or keeping an eye on? Um, we, we made an effort on PAGA, which is the mm -hmm. Private Attorney General's uh, Act, uh, and we've, we've slowed our effort till 2024. We made a, a strategic decision to do that. So we won't have a particular ballot measured uh, this time around. Right. Um, we did avoid one, and that would have been the plastics ballot oh, initiative right, right, that right. was proposed. Yeah. We worked out an arrangement with the legislature and the governor on SB 54 by Senator Allen. We avoided um, uh, what would have been a very expensive ballot initiative campaign on both sides. Right. And I think in that regard, it's not a perfect policy that came out of the legislature, but uh, it's better than what the initiative would right. have been, which is not perfect. And you don't negotiate on a ballot initiative. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. And to change one after the fact through amendment is very difficult. Oh, yeah. So there was a lot of uh, pressure on um, all stakeholders to come to an agreement, and we were able to um, early in uh, July and uh, you know avoided a ballot initiative. So sometimes, yeah, there's things that are on the ballot, but almost as important as right. what's not on the ballot. No, exactly. Good point. And just kind of coming into the end of the year and looking toward ne to next year, what are some of your top priorities? So we're going to resume that narrative uh, pitch uh, mm -hmm. on behalf of manufacturing for sure. And then we're going to identify a broad-based, again, simple solution to um, give manufacturers an incentive to be here, stay here, and come here. And if we can accomplish those three things, 2023 is going to be a great year. I'm already looking at it with optimism because of the team that we have at CMTA, the focus on issues and the focus on our uh, owning our own narrative mm -hmm. that uh, I've been in the role now almost four years. Never have I been as optimistic as I am about the future than I am right this minute sitting across from yeah. you. No, that's a good point is, is once you get your story out there and people understand, it's kind of like, you know, how could you, how could you fail? Like once, you know, everyone exactly. has that understanding. So I uh, wish you the best of luck and thanks for joining us. And for our listeners, if you guys want to find out more information about Lance and CMTA, I definitely encourage you to Check out Lance's Twitter at Lance Hastings and uh, CMTA. Was it at CMTA? At CMTA. And now on Instagram and uh, we'll be on TikTok, TikTok soon. So yes. we'll be seeing Lance dance hopefully. <laughs> so, thanks, thank, Jared. Appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. Good talk with you. All right. Thanks. <laughs>